we've been gone. God. Again. We've been we've been through some shit. For a really long time. Let me tell you. But you're not allowed to be mad at us about it this time. No. Okay. You could be mad at us for every other time, but this time. I was in the hospital. Yeah. Crystal was hospitalized. <laughs> so. Sorry. <laughs> so sorry, but not sorry. Yeah, exactly. I was a little busy. Um, <laughs> I, For clarification, I think I'm fine. I don't know how, like, I don't, I don't know what happened. We'll put a stamp there and say TBD, but I think you're fine. Yeah. I to- hope you're fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> TBD. Um. I can't walk normally, and I can't work, and I um, can't do other basic things by myself, which is really frustrating as a woman who is as independent as I am and who works as much as I do to now have to have, like, one, I haven't been to work in two weeks, and it's driving me crazy, and two, um, I have to have somebody, like, around to help me in and out of the shower, and I have a shower seat and a walker with tennis balls on it. I put that bitch in four-wheel drive. Did you name your tennis balls? I didn't. I haven't named the walker yet because I don't want to get too attached, I'm hoping it's not going to be around for too much longer. I understand. But, oh my god, Megan, I have a present for you. Oh? Oh, shoot. I am... I'm glad we're doing this on the podcast. I yes. completely forgot okay, when you so got I'm here. opening... Crystal... Okay, so a couple weeks ago, Crystal was like, I got you a present. And if you remember a couple episodes ago, I was talking about how I don't play Animal Crossing anymore, really. And then Crystal was like, oh, well, that makes this awkward. Oh, yeah, that's so right. I'm we didn't opening... talk about it on the podcast. Oh, my god! Those are so cute! Oh, I love them so much. Thank you! You're welcome. So, um, what my little screech is, if you know me, you know that I love Crocs. Like, love Crocs. Yeah. Yes. It's alarming. It's unhealthy. And (laughs) And they make little, like, if you don't know anything about Crocs, like, they make little jewels that you can put in them. And she got me some Animal Crossing ones. I love them. Thank you. You're welcome. I was so excited about them when I found them. I saw them, like, advertised on, um... Uh, a girl was making them and she posted about it in one of the like Animal Crossing pages that I follow on Facebook and then I went to her Etsy page and she was sold out but I was like why haven't I thought to look for this before because ever since Kaylin got you that big pack of yeah. a bunch of them I've wanted to get some for you oh. um, but I don't know why I didn't think about going to Etsy first so oh, I just put in KK. I know I went in I tried to find one that had Alice but everybody that did like specific um, villagers they were really expensive or they were completely sold out so that was the most like affordable one I could oh. find but I thought it was cute because it had like three of the main people on it. I love them. Oh, you. you're welcome. I'm so glad. Ugh. Oh, I love them so much. Thank you. They also, I don't remember what Etsy shop. Hold on. I want to plug the Etsy shop. Oh, yeah. Where's my phone? Here it is. The Happy New Yorker oh. is her name on Etsy. And she makes all kinds of little crock charms and stuff like that. But I thought you would like those the oh, best. I love them. Thank you so much. They're so They're welcome. They're so freaking cute. Now I need to decide if I want to clean my white crocs and put them in that one or if i want to put them in my lime green ones Ooh. i think the lime green ones would look cute they would look cute but i think isabel might cl- clash she, she might, might need to go in my white ones. but if you yeah put uh, isabel on the white ones but if you put kk on the white ones he would just disappear exactly yeah. and then kk and tom nook can go in my green ones there you go Yes, thank I'm you. I'm so glad you like I them. I love them so good. much. I'm They're so glad. So I'm glad. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I was in the hospital. Sorry we missed last week. Um, but we shouldn't have any trouble now because I'm just chilling at home all the time, so... Yeah. We say that every time, though, and then something happens, so we're going to stop saying Yeah. That. Yeah, last time we said that, we were like, yeah, life should be pretty normal now, and then it was like, boom, hospitalization, major medical mystery whatever that's yeah. what one of my nurses at the hospital literally said she was like either um you're just like a major medical mystery or the vestibular therapy is going to work so my official diagnosis was that i have vertigo um but that's all of my doctors that i've spoken with all my physical therapists that i've spoken with have been like that's not all it is um they definitely aren't discounting that i do have some vertigo because vestibular therapy is helping with my dizziness a lot right 
Um, but and it's I mean pretty much gone at this point, which is good. Good. Um, but the left side of my body is still just like doesn't know what's up. And occasionally my left eye twitches and my left foot is like super non-responsive when I try to walk. And yeah. So take that if you know anything about medicine. Yeah, if there are any neurosurgeons listening to the podcast, hit me up. Derek uh, Shepard. Derek, I was there. Say Derek <laughs> Shepard, Amelia Shepard, hello. Yeah. <laughs> hit me up. Uh, try and solve my brain problem. I continue with uh, the neurological clinic outpatient but my first appointment's not until the end of August. So my physical therapist is trying to get that moved up so that Good. we can have, like, a better idea because we don't even know what to, like, how to treat it right now because she's a vestibular she therapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, that's not her specialization. So we're both dying, but Crystal's dying a little more than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know if it's a little bit more. It's just a little bit more, like, outward. What's the word I'm looking for? Presenting. Yeah. So uh, there's a quick rundown of the last two weeks. Girl, my neighbor... Okay, so you guys have heard about my neighbors who fight all the time. Um, one of them is not actually supposed to be living there anymore because we had to call the cops on them. Um, oh, yeah, you told me. Yeah, we finally called the cops on them because we legitimately thought that one of them was killing the other one. Like, there was so much screaming and beating and on the doors and stuff. And we were watching a movie, and they had started right before... No, we were playing Dominion with his family. And um, if you don't know what Dominion is, it's like a really fun game that you can play online with people and his family lives all over the place. So they play it like a couple times a week together. So we were playing it with him and um, they always start around four on Sundays. So we started playing and by the time we were done playing, which is around nine o'clock, they had started right before they started fighting right before we started playing. And when we were done playing, they were still going at it. And we were like, this is insane. And then it got to the point where they were like shrieking at each other and like banging on walls and stuff. And there was this just like continuous, just like bang, 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 bang happening, like really loud. And so finally we were like, we got to call the police. (laughs) And I mean, they haven't been that bad since then. Like they've been fighting, but it's not been as bad as it was. And they're trying, you can tell they're like definitely trying to like, work on it or well, not, not that they're trying being, to work on their relationship being, but that they're not like, trying to be to work on like being as loud yeah and they're yeah. not like running out in the hallways anymore or like going back and forth on the fire escape or anything like that but um so it's really weird because it's like we have this like unspoken relationship where like i know that they got issues right but when i ever talk to them individually like if i run into them in the hallway they're always so nice yeah. so i don't i don't know which one's the instigator i can't tell the difference in their voices <laughs> um it's these two girls that live across the hall and Every time I meet them, just, like, walking down the hallway, they're always super nice and super friendly or whatever. So it's just, like, this weird vibe that we've got going where they're, like, probably pretty certain that I'm the one who called the cops. Right. But also, like, we're nice to each other and yeah. they probably know that they deserved it. But Fox locked himself out on the fire escape the other day and I had to go out there and get him. So I'm, like, going with my walker, dragging my little foot behind <laughs> me, like, shaking. I'm wobbling. If you've ever seen a cat that, like, has, like, whisker damage and they walk, like, all yeah. messed up and stuff, that's what I look like right now um, no. when I try to walk. Um, I do. You can't lie to me. I know it's true. Fox's friends, Holly and Raleigh, have a cat with a neuro disorder oh who God. walks just Crystal. like me. We are twins. His name is Louie and he is now my twin. Um, I'm fine with it. I got to laugh about it. It's fine. Oh my God, um, <laughs> so I had to go out into the hallway and open up the fire escape door for him to get back in. And I was coming back and one of the girls was coming up the stairs and she just kind of like stopped and stared at me because I live on the fourth floor of an apartment complex with no elevator. Yeah. So like leaving oh the house. God, I didn't even think about the fact that you didn't have an elevator. Girl, it's been a nightmare. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I, the, mm, I, I'm not leaving the house any more than I absolutely need to. Because... But you shouldn't be anyways. Right. When, exactly. <laughs> no. Exactly. No, I just... No, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it's not like I'm just like... Yeah. 
I can just like go places yeah. and do anything. Cause like, even if I, it's not just like, it, uh, it didn't really hit me until we went to my parents and I went to Walmart to get some stuff for my at home physical therapy. And we got to Walmart and just like trying to get across the parking lot, I was shaking. And now they've got that big, like fenced off area where you have to go through yeah. and get in line to get in. And I was staring at it and I was like, that's such a long way. And my mom was like, did you have your walker yet? Yeah. I was hobbling across the parking lot and the guy, the like attendant inside, my mom goes up and she goes, can she just come in here? And he was like, yeah, that's fine. And then my dad got a wheelchair, not one of the motorized ones, just one of the push yeah. ones. And he put me in that and was Aww. just wheeling me around Walmart. It was really cute. Um, until he was like trying to knock me into stuff and <laughs> we would just be going down the aisle and there wouldn't be any around and he would go, I'm like, dad, there's like nothing I could do about it. That's so cute. It is really cute. Um, it was a very wholesome moment. Uh, but they were just like staring at me like, what are you? doing like what is wrong with you and like my neighbors probably think i'm crazy but it's okay because i know they are so um we'll move out of the sad medical stuff a couple of shout outs so my friend molly she's an avid listener of the podcast and a great person we used to work together whenever i worked in financial aid um they were the ones who were here right before you got here um so molly and then uh our other friend shack both came to see me they brought me a cute little basket and some flowers it was very sweet uh molly is about to move to california because she got accepted into her dream master's program and i'm super proud of her but she like loves the podcast and she was talking about it and i'm really gonna miss her but she brought me um some stuff my friend betsy from the water dog uh, made me dinner the other day and brought it and it was so good and just so sweet and i've had like so many people reaching out and it's been really hard to keep up because i literally have just I think it, I'm, I've, I've worked it down to about a hundred and something messages. Oh. And that's after several days of replying to as many people as is physically possible in a day and not yeah. losing my mind. Um, so I've just been like really, really blown away by the amount of like love I felt. But then also while I was going through messages, I realized that I missed a message from my friend, Allison, who do you remember whenever we got our first Romanian listener? Yeah. And I was like, I have a friend in Romania, but I don't actually think she would be listening. Yeah. So she messaged me on the 22nd while I was in the hospital and said, Hey, Crystal, I've been catching up on your podcast. I got super distracted with everything that's been happening in the world. And I just started the Titanic episode and now wanted to tell you, yes, I am the Romanian listener. I'm enjoying listening to every episode and I miss you so much. Aww. And then that just like blew me away. Cause we went to college together. Yeah. Um, we lived on the same floor. I went to a Christian college and I really want to say that we had like prayer groups mm-hmm. um, on our hall. Like so every hall had subgroups of yeah. people that got together for prayer group. And this is just because not because anything about her but just because my memory is so bad but I'm like 90 actually no I'm 100% sure that she was my prayer group leader um my sophomore year I believe um and I only remember that 100% because she gave me my very first dedicated journal she gave everybody in the group a journal and I started like doodling in it and journaling in it and stuff like that and it was just really cool because I I don't know why I didn't expect her to listen, um, but it just like really made me super happy Aww, that she was yeah, our Romanian sweet. listener. Yeah, it was really nice. So hi, Allison. I hope you're listening again. It was really nice to hear from you. And I promise I'll text you back um, again. I've had a lot going on. So <laughs> and you text me while I was in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's all been fun. There's that little corner out of the way. Yeah, it's been nice. Hi, parents. Oh, yeah. Hi, parents. I was going to actually text you while your parents were here and be like, hi, parents. <laughs> that would have been so cute. I, I would have loved that. Mom asked about you. She was, because uh, whenever we thought that you were originally coming. Oh, yesterday. Yeah. They were like, is she going to be here in time for us to see her? I said, probably not. Because <laughs> they left around noon. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. No. Because they still haven't met you, but they still yeah. love you. So. <laughs> I love them. Oh, good. Um, has it been 40 minutes? It's been 30. Oh, my God. We do this every time. They do this every year. So, so we've already talked about what this week's episode is going to be about. Um, I don't, I don't, you need a refresher because we've been gone for a hundred years. Yeah. We are continuing with our series centered around the Cecil hotel. 
This one is not quite as directly related to the Cecil Hotel, but it's still true crime, and it's it's the Black Dahlia, Elizabeth yeah. Short, her murder in 1947. Um, she was seen at the Cecil Hotel not was, too long before she was murdered, and, and I, also... I, I, when I did my research on the Cecil Hotel, like, it said that she was found, like, right up the street. So, I thought about that, too. That is not exactly correct. So, See, but I was going to say, so, like, that was, like, everything that I looked up there, like, Elizabeth Short was found here, Elizabeth, and then I was, like, um, listening to a bunch of YouTube, so I had, like, worked, I was a mid-shift today, so, like, while I was working, I was, like, just listening to YouTube videos mm-hmm. on it so I could, like, contribute. Because <laughs> well, originally, a- this was going to be, a, like, a collaboration episode. Right. We were both going to take the lead on it, and then I volunteered because I didn't do the last two episodes because I don't do true crime episodes, and I'll tell you a very funny story about why I don't do true crime episodes <laughs> after we get done with this. Uh, um, but, but, like, I was listening, and then they were, like, saying a different thing, and I was like... The Lemaire yeah, Park, or how do you I say was, that? Yeah, I was mm-hmm. like, wait a minute. So, I guess I'm just going to say that... Uh, I was wrong. It's okay. But also, I definitely, like, my research definitely said that she was, like, found near the Cecil Hotel. The Cecil Hotel was trying to claim some of her fame, essentially. But that's okay. So, it's still quite close. It's only 6.5 miles. Okay, so it's still close. And also, she probably should have just been at the Cecil Hotel, if we're being honest. Honestly. So, yeah. I don't actually have an outline for this episode, because I was in the middle of putting one together until I opened up the All That's Interesting article and realized as I was reading through it... Everything that you were going to... It was... Not only was it all in there, but it was in the exact layout that I was going to talk about it. So I'm like, I'm going to cite all the stuff that I use, but I'm not working directly off of an outline. So it might be a little scattered, but I don't think it will be because this article is basically acting as my outline. Like, this was the last one I read. Yeah. Um, And everything else, I I actually didn't end up reading Um, this one from history. Also, uh, really quickly, I know that the last two we've said are pretty gruesome, but this one in particular, is super super gruesome. gruesome. So I'm going to skip out on some of the details. But some of them are pretty important as to understanding, just so you know. Like, this Mm -hmm. is really, really, really gruesome. Yeah. Some things are super important, and I will touch on them, but there are some things that are not so important. I I don't know yet if I'm going to cut it. I don't know yet if we're going to talk about it or not. Um, Just be warned, this is a tough episode to listen to. Um, It was a tough episode to record. And uh, with that, I will segue into my story. So I don't do the true crime part of this podcast. I don't. I don't do it. Um, I don't necessarily live alone anymore, so it's not as bad. But let me tell you, um, Fox was at work. So I was here by myself, chilling, living my best life. And so my walker, I normally keep it up against my... I have a very small living room. (laughs) But I keep my walker against, like, one side of the wall because that's closest to, like, my side of the couch. So today... I was getting, like, sore on my right side, and so I decided I wanted to, like, lean up against my left. So I scooted down the couch to the opposite end of the couch that I normally sit on. So now my walker is on the other wall opposite from me, which is fine because I can just scoot back down the couch right. if I need to get it, right? Um, So I'm doing research. I'm super into it. I'm reading stuff. I did a lot of stuff yesterday, but... I um and the day before, but today I was like finalizing everything. And also, shout out to all of the sources that I used. I'll cite my shit here in a second, but all the sources that I used, none of them put crime scene photos in their articles, Good. which I was very thankful for. Yeah. Um, until I get to all that's interesting, and then they ruined everything. But <laughs> it's fine. So I had gotten into the point where I was looking. Or I wasn't looking, but I was like on an article that had photos, and I was like trying not to look, you know. Um, and then my cat, my sweet Mia, my silent baby, <laughs> my sweet sneezy girl. Light of my life, angel of my world. I did not even know she was in the room. She was apparently in the kitchen eating, and she, like, comes up behind the couch, and she jumps up on the couch right next to my head. 
I screamed and hit the floor. It scared the living bejesus out of me. I was so wired. And then think about this, friends. I have scooted down the couch from my normal sitting place. <laughs> Which means that now my walker is like eight feet away from me. <laughs> oh, so sweet I, baby Mia. God, I my, it really hurt my pride because I was literally like on ha- my hands and knees crawling across the floor to get to my walker right. so I could get back up onto the couch. And I was just like, I hate everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's why I don't do cr- true crime episodes. And I was going to let Megan take the lead on all of these. But she was busy and I wasn't necessarily. So I uh, did most of the research for this one. But a lot of stuff I already knew. But I still like to, you know, yeah. I like to check my own facts. Right. Um, so the resources that I used the most were biography.com. Uh, just a biography on the Black Dahlia. Her name is Elizabeth Short, but she got the... We'll, we'll get there. Um, I also used uh, The Guardian. Uh, I used an article from The Guardian that I'm not going to give you the name of yet because it kind of spoils something we're going to talk about later, but I'll give you the name of it later. Um, and then I used... All oh, that's interesting, of course. Um, and then I found... I didn't use this site very much, but I still think it's interesting to, like, note. Um, the F... No, it's FBI. Oh. FBI.gov. Like, the FBI's website has a history section, and you can look at famous cases and criminals in it um, and look at a whole bunch of different, like, resources. So the FBI's website, it doesn't have just a ton of stuff, but it was interesting information, and it has some really cool photos, like, of her fingerprint that they used uh, to identify her, the newspaper from the day that it was announced that she was murdered. Um, so it's still, like, an interesting, an interesting article. Uh, but I didn't, there's, there's nothing in it that I didn't find elsewhere. Yeah. In terms of, um, not photos. Yeah. Um, because again, they've got like the newspaper clipping and everything like that, except there was a lot more, if you're really interesting in like forensic evidence, there was more terminology used about how they got the photos and stuff like that. So if that's your thing, check it out. It's really yeah. interesting, but that's not what I was focusing on. So I'm a, I'm gonna give it like a shout out, but we're not going to focus on it. So anyway, let's get into it. Um, this has been, it, it has been like ruled probably the most famous cold case yeah. in LA's history. So in 1947, Elizabeth Short, known as the Black Dahlia, was murdered in Los Angeles. Uh, she was known as the Black Dahlia. She was known for wearing a lot of like sheer black clothing. And at the time there was a really popular movie out called the Blue Dahlia. Um, so it was like a play on that and they called her the Black Dahlia. So on January 15th, 1947, her body was found in a residential neighborhood outside of Los Angeles by a mother out for a walk with her two-year-old yeah, they were child. Actually, they were actually going to, like, get shoes repaired or pick up shoes that were supposed to be repaired. Yeah. Oh, God. With your child. Could you imagine? Mm-hmm. So the way that um, Elizabeth's body had been posed made the woman who found her think at first that the corpse was actually a mannequin. But just, like, the way that she was, like, positioned because she had, like, her arms in kind of a stiff... Yeah, they said it was, like... Um, a real, like, she was positioned really weird. Yeah. Like. Made her look, like, fake. Yeah. So, her body, and this is where it gets gruesome. All right, yeah. we're gonna get it out of the way now, and then hopefully not have to talk about it again later. So, her body was severed at the waist, um, right below her, a specific lumbar. Um, it's called a hemocorectomy, I believe is how it's pronounced. We'll get a little bit more into that later. Um, but it was severed completely in half. Her, her intestines had been removed folded up and tucked underneath her lower torso. Pieces of her skin had been removed and there were ligature marks on her wrists and ankles. Also, her stomach was full of feces, indicating that she had been uh, forced to eat feces before she died. There was also, there were also things found inside of her uterus, pubic hairs and um, 
pieces of skin and also later on we talk about a red rose tattoo that she had that that piece of the skin had been cut off mm. and put somewhere inside her body but i don't remember where um so yeah that's that's that and now we're not yeah. gonna talk about it anymore say that she had a lot of abrasions mm-hmm. she she ended she had blunt force trauma mm-hmm. and they had said that she had a concussion from it um and there was a bunch of other things so basically oh she also the the biggest distinctive thing about this was her being like cut in half but also the her her mouth yeah yeah also keep in mind that these cuts it wasn't a hack job yeah they were very precise cuts. they were like very clean cuts mm-hmm. so just keep that yeah, mind. we'll circle back to that fact here in a little bit. One of the most interesting things about this whole thing was that there was absolutely no blood at the scene of where her body was found, and there was not a single drop of blood anywhere in her body. Um, so it had been completely drained, um, which so, is so chilling to me. I was um, about to say, I wonder if they, like, transported her body, but, like, I think that's a pretty, like, her body had been transported. Yeah, and there were also, again, we'll t- touch on why this is important later, but there were concrete bags, like, empty bags of concrete um, oh, found near, yeah. Um, so, if, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, concrete that you can, like, purchase. Yeah. Um, and those really big, yeah. like, woven bags. Yes. Um, there were empty ones of those found really near her body. And we'll come back to that. So, her body had also been completely wiped down with gasoline before it was dumped. I say I didn't know that part either. Ooh. Yep. Um, and then the most disturbing part, the lacerations on her face. So um, if you've seen the Joker or if you're familiar at all with Batman and the Joker or anything like that, she had like a Joker like smile where they had cut into the corners of her lips and made like a smile like a into her smile. Yeah. yeah. Into her cheeks. And it is so, so creepy. You know? And it went, it went like, all the way up to her ears. You know, she was only 23. Yeah, I did know that. Yeah. We're gonna get into a little bit more of her life here in a bit. And so, yeah, the lacerations went from the corner of her mouth all the way up to her ears, um, which is super creepy. So, Short was... She was the middle child of five um, girls. So... Oh, my God. Yeah, right? Um, and her father abandoned their family when she was five. Um, so, she was really passionate about cinema from a very early point in life. She had a, her dead set dream was to be an actress. Um, so by the time she was 23 in 1947, she was living in LA. She was working as a waitress to support herself and just like trying to, you know, do what she could to make it in LA. She never actually got that chance. She never made it that far, but she was a young Hollywood hopeful. Another thing I want to touch on before we move forward, the media in the forties tried to paint her very much like a sexual deviant. Yes. Um, they tried to push that a lot, that she was a call girl, that she was a sex worker, that she, she was this, that, that she would promise men these different things for money, get her money, and then run and never deliver on them. There was never any evidence that any of that no. was true. Ever. Not a, a shred of any of that no. actually being true. She was painted like that in the media, but if you've heard that the Black Dahlia was, quote, just another prostitute being murdered, which not. there's no such thing as just another sex worker being right. murdered. They're people. Um, but no, that she was... She wasn't. No, there was, there was no... Not that it would make her a bad person if she was, but just saying, uh, on in terms of public perception, there was never any evidence that any of that was true. So we're just going to knock that out in the beginning. Um, so they used her fingerprints to uh, identify her because she had applied for a job with the U.S. Army Camp um, Cook Commissionary in 1943, and they also had a mugshot from several months after she had applied from the commissary job because she had been arrested by the Santa Barbara Police Department for uh, underage drinking. (laughs) Um, So the FBI gave us information to the press and it was widely reported on her. Oh, there are the photos. I don't know if you want to see them. I don't, but... Mm, um, Kind of, but wait a second. Yeah. 
it's been a long time since I've looked at those, and that was awful. I don't know why I just did that to myself. That's okay. That's why I looked away. Um, So, oh, wow. They use the actual word sexual deviant in this article. I did not know that. Look at me. Hire me to work for you while that's interesting. Please, God. (laughs) Can I work from home? Can I work with a walker? Thank you. So, and again, that's, she got the nickname the Black Dahlia due to her reported preference for wearing a lot of sheer black clothing, and after the film, the Blue Dahlia was in theaters at the time. Um, Like you said, her dad dipped out. Mm -hmm. He actually re-enters, kind of. So, like, he moved to California and like years later like writes her and was like hey like I know we don't talk anymore but I'm in California and blah 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 just like small talk so when she was murdered her dad would not identify her what I didn't know that so she was in Cali he was in Cali I don't know that it was in the same area but he was in Cali she was in Cali her dad would not identify her so her mom had to fly out I can't remember where her mom like lived or whatever Mm -hmm. but like her mom had to fly out to Cali and identify her child because the dad wouldn't do it (laughs) That's ridiculous. I did not know that. Um, Piece of shit, that man. I think his name was like Cleo or something. So a week after her body was found, Los Angeles Examiner editor James Richardson received a call from a person claiming to be the murderer. Now, it's important to note that within just the first couple days of the news dropping that her body had been found so many people like 40 to 50 different men and women showed up to say i did this and also touched base on this with the john benet ramsey like how like sick people mm-hmm. are the people coming forward admitting to this mm-hmm. and keep in mind that like this case is still unsolved mm-hmm. um and that like it slows down the investigation a lot and a lot of people think that her murder would have already been like sealed done and over with if they hadn't been so bogged down with false claims and stuff like that however there was um this one person who claimed to be the murderer and they sent souvenirs of elizabeth in the mail to the los angeles examiner um i also read somewhere i believe it was in the guardian um article that there were reporters who were literally just showing up to the police station and answering phones and withholding information yeah because they were all obsessed with being the only ones with the scoop yeah so they were withholding a lot of information from the police even in their own precinct oh my God. so that of course like of course it wasn't um four days after the uh james richardson got that phone call a postal worker found an envelope addressed to the examiner inside were short's birth certificate business cards photographs a list of names and an address book that address book comes back into play yeah. later so police searched hundreds of locations throughout los angeles for clues they heard over 60 confessions for the murder and interviewed over 12 suspects but ultimately never arrested anybody so like i guess it's like the either the envelope or like the note inside of it mm-hmm. um they didn't use writing i don't know if that's also in here or not but like they didn't write like they didn't write it out themselves they used new ma- magazine clippings and like wrote like glued everything on so that way their handwriting couldn't ba- be identified these were mm-hmm. i guess pretty and inf- like often that they received the ones like that yeah Okay. Well, at some point, maybe it'll get clarified later, but at some point they did. It wasn't, I, there was something that was given by the same person who sent all of the information or all of the like articles that were belonged to her. Um, but I can't remember. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah. It's, it's listed somewhere. That's the case itself. So now we're going to get into some of the most notorious people I saw the I saw the man himself, that mm-hmm. bastard. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna end with him. Yeah. So there were three like main suspects that we're gonna talk about. Again, there ended up being twelve in total, but these are the most impactful ones, I believe. So the first one is Robert um, Red Manley, who was the last person seen with Elizabeth Short before her disappearance. Uh, Manley was the LAPD's top suspect in the first few days after the killing. Um, after two polygraph tests and a sworn alibi, Manley was set free. He also identified her purse and one of her shoes after they were discovered in a trash can on January 25th, several miles from the murder scene. 
Manley, who had been discharged from the army for mental disability, subsequently suffered a series of nervous breakdowns and claimed to be hearing voices. As a result, he was committed to Patton State Hospital by his wife in 1954, and he died on January 16, 1986. It was like 30 days to the last time he, like, okay, so I watched one of Buzz, um, BuzzFeed's Unsolved. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, like, bagging up wings just <laughs> nice. watching BuzzFeed Unsolved. But, like, they said it was 30 years to, like, I guess that would make sense, right? Does that math time, up, like, add up 30 years? When did he die? Almost. So, he died January twenty January 16th, 1986. Right? So, it would have been, like, 39 years. So, it was, like, but it was to that 30, date that it was the last time she had years. been seen. Yeah. So, they were, like... Take that as you will. Like, yeah. is that a coincidence or is it not? The official, like, record that the coroner um, stated was an accidental fall. That's what, yeah. Yeah. Um, all that information came from Wikipedia. Um, so now we'll go back. I don't really believe that he was involved No, I at don't all. either. But he passed the lie detector test, like, mm-hmm. and honestly, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't, we'll get to it who we think. Right. But I don't think that he was involved. Just, like, maybe, like, her being murdered, like, ate at him and he was the last person and then like he had right. a lot of pressure on him because he was the main suspect for a really long time like, right so now we're going to talk about a man named leslie dillon but before we get to leslie dillon we're going to talk about a man named mark hansen so mark hansen his name comes up a lot in the investigation he's tied to a lot of people that they believe could have been responsible for the killing so um they touched up on this one a little bit but the the other guy we just talked about and then the other guy mm-hmm. um, are the only two that they like. I think they might have, like, brushed over this one. Mm-hmm. But, like, the other two are the two that they, like, really touched base on. But mm-hmm. So this is going to be interesting. I don't know mm-hmm. anything about this guy. So Leslie Dillon, um, or Mark Hansen, was connected to a lot of different people. Patrick O'Reilly. A lot of people that were suspects all had ties to Hansen, which I think is really interesting. This is not the theory that I believe as much, but it is still a very interesting um, so in 2017, a British author named P.U., her name is P.I.U., so I'm going to say P.U., unfortunate, but that's what I think it is, <laughs> um, Eatwell announced that she had finally solved the case and she published her findings in a book called Black Dahlia, Red Rose, The Crime, Corruption, and Cover-Up of America's Greatest Unsolved Murder. Um, she claimed that the man responsible was a man named Leslie Dillon, who the police had initially investigated but had let go. Um, However, she said there was much more to the case besides Dylan himself. So according to Eatwell, Dylan, who worked, Leslie Dylan, who worked as a bellhop, was just a hitman who was hired to kill short by Hollywood theater mogul Mark Hansen. What the heck? Yes. Wait, he was a, he was a what for Hollywood? Sorry. Uh, He was a hitman. No, not the bellhop, but the Mark guy. Oh, he was, he was a theater mogul, Hollywood theater mogul. Um, So Hansen was another original suspect that had eventually been let go, and he also was the owner of the address book that had been mailed to the examiner. Um, I don't know if this touches base or not, but apparently there were a bunch of names ripped out of the address book. Oh, I didn't see anything about that. So, like, when they got it, I guess they were, like, looking for it, like, Mm -hmm. looking for, like, suspects, like, Mm -hmm. you know, interviewing people, but there were, like, pages ripped out of the address book. Yeah, everything really comes back to Mark Hansen. I think it's very interesting. Um, So Hansen wrote a kind of like a halfway house um, at the time for young starlets who were seeking fame in Los Angeles. Yeah. Elizabeth had reportedly stayed at the home for a few days with a friend of hers shortly before her murder. Eatwell alleges that Hanson was infatuated with Short and came on to her. She rebuffed his advances but continued to tease him. Again, this is all speculation on the part of Eatwell. Uh, Finally, Hanson had had enough and kicked her out of his house. Then he called on Leslie Dillon, an acquaintance, to, quote, take care of her. Hanson, it seemed, knew Dillon was capable of murder but didn't know just how deranged she really was. So, now let's talk about Leslie Dillon more. 
Um, he had worked as a mortician's assistant where he would have learned how to bleed bodies dry and dismember them. Yeah. Um, later, when he was interviewed by the police, he admitted an interest in the case, telling them that he wanted to write a, quote, true crime style piece on it. Or true, sorry, true detective style piece on it. Eatwell also discovered from police records that Dylan knew details of the crime that had not been released to the public, such as, we're going to talk about this again, the fact that Elizabeth had a tattoo of a red rose on her upper thigh, which had been cut off and shoved inside of her. Dude. Yeah, and that wasn't information that had ever been released. So despite all the evidence pointing to him, Dylan was never tried and was let go early by the police. Eatwell thinks that he was released because of his tie, because of Mark Hansen's ties to the LAPD. Yeah. Um, uh, someone was definitely wrote off. Yeah. So. Um, and also, <laughs> just going back to uh, LAPD's garbage. Yep. <laughs> um, so the department was already really corrupt, but Eatwell believed that Hansen contributed largely to their corruption by paying off officers investigating Elizabeth's death. Um, another disco- discovery that lent itself to Eatwell's theory was a crime scene found at a local motel. She came, during while her research, she came across a report by um astor motel owner henry hoffman this part really got me on the morning of january 15th 1947 which was the day that she had died hoffman opened the door to cabin three and found blood and feces spattered across the room in cabin nine he found a blood-stained bundle of woman's clothing her clothing was never found oh, no. um, instead of reporting the crime hoffman simply cleaned it up he had been arrested four days earlier for beating his wife because why would we do the right thing and he didn't want to risk another run-in with the police. So Eatwell believes that cabin three is where Short was murdered. Because, again, she, there was okay. feces found in, yeah. in her body. Um, eyewitness reports, though uncorroborated, claim that Dylan was seen at the motel with Short shortly before her body was discovered. Um, Evil series have not been proven, as everyone involved with the original Black Dahlia murder case is dead, and the official LAPD documents are locked away in vaults, not for public viewing. Convenient. However, Eatwell is very very strong in her convictions that she has the right guy you'll have to send me the name of that book and i'm going to download it on audible and listen to it it sounds very interesting there's another book based off this that i want to read as well but we can touch base on that the one that we're about to talk about probably yeah um there's also i cannot for the life of me remember and i can't find it just like going through any of these articles but there was one guy (sighs) oh my god it just infuriates me i know there was one guy who he was arrested, but he was arrested. They like didn't do it correctly. Um, he was, I don't know if he just like, wasn't, he was like not detained in a way that was in concordance with the law. Sounds like something like they forgot to read him as like Miranda rights. Were or Miranda something. rights a thing in the forties? When did Miranda rights oh, come around? Know. But that's just kind of what he like reminds me of, you know, like. I can't remember. Cause it's that Supreme court case. I didn't think it was until, yeah, it wasn't oh. until the sixties that Miranda rights were a thing. But there was still, like, a legal detainment. Hmm. Um, so something that they did was, didn't quite line up with the law, and I can't remember who exactly it was, but he was brought in for questioning, and then they had to let him go because they had done it incorrectly. And he, like, he was the strongest... Um, Made the most sense. Mm-hmm, yeah, he was the strongest guy that they had at the time, and they had to let him go. Um, they had all the evidence pointing to him, and they weren't allowed to keep him because... Way to go, LAPD. Yeah. You guys are doing a great job keep up the good work Mm -hmm. um i love to see it so now oh i didn't hear about that either i'll have to look that up that's yeah i can't can't remember his name i'll have to go through it's in one of these articles somewhere this is what happens when i don't make an outline was it more convincing than like the guy we're about to talk to oh well there wasn't enough room for it to be convincing they didn't have time to like really dig into it at all they had to let him go so i don't know what kind of evidence they had against him the article wasn't very specific but if i could find the name 
we can do some research and look into it and see. Yeah. yeah. But this next one, until until f- further notice, this next one's the one that has my stamp of he yeah. did it. So this article is amazing. Please go read it. We're not going to go through the whole thing because it's super long and we'd be here for forever and we've already been recording for over an hour. But it is an article by The Guardian and it's I called... Wait. I want to read this book so bad. Right. So the article is called, I Know Who Killed the Black Dahlia, My Own Father. Former police, uh, former Los Angeles Police Department detective Steve Hodell has spent the last 15 years cataloging evidence uh, that his dad killed Elizabeth Short and others. So this article was published in May of 2016. Um, but his book is, um, Black Dahlia Avenger, the true story. Um, I really want to read the book. I think it's really interesting. This article is amazing. Uh, go find it, read it if you want to. It's so good. There's so much information. We just don't have the time to get into all of it. It's really, really good. Right. So we're going to give you the condensed version. So in the late nineties, retired uh, Los Angeles police officer, Steve Hodell was going through his father's belongings when he noticed a photograph that bore a striking resemblance to Elizabeth Short. After discovering this haunting image, Hodel began using the skills he had gained as a policeman to investigate his own deceased father. Hodel went through newspaper archives and witness interviews from the case and even filed a Freedom of Information Act to obtain FBI files on the Black Dahlia murder. Since he was retired from the force, Hodel was not able to access LAPD records on this case. I was going to say, yeah. just keep in mind that like he's doing this on his own free will. Like He yeah. is retired. He's yeah. not, no longer working for the LAPD. Yeah. Like, he he is- was literally just going through some stuff in his own house and found a really small... He, it, the way that the Guardian described it was that it was small enough to like fit in a pocket so uh i'll read this excerpt it says as he went through his father's possessions steve found also his dad abandoned their family yeah very short it was after right after uh steve's ninth birth birthday and he moved away to the philippines which i I wonder when he was born i wonder around i wonder how close in proximity the time of him moving to the philippines coincides with the time the black dahlia was murdered yeah. Interesting. I'll have to do some math later. So this was right after he found out that his father had passed away. He started going through his possessions and he found a photo album that was in a box. It was small enough to fit in the palm of his hand and was bound with wood. So he started looking through it. It was filled with normal pictures of his mom, dad, brothers, portraits of the family taken by the world famous surreal artist Man Ray. Um, but toward the back, something caught his eye, which was two pictures of a young woman, her eyes cast downward with curly, deep black hair. Steve still doesn't know why he had the idea, but as he looked at the images, he thought to himself, my God, that looks like the Black Dahlia. That's such a weird, like, of everybody that you could like, what, was he born when the Black Dahlia was murdered? I don't know. Because, like, that's just weird, you know what I mean? Like, you're not looking at a picture and being like, oh, wow, that looks like Elizabeth Short. You would maybe, like, correlate it to, like, maybe a family member, mm-hmm. you know? I'll have to look up when exactly he was born and how all of that lines up. But, I mean, he was retired. In 2016, he had spent 15 years researching as a retired detective. So, like, he's on up there in age. So, Steve was a homicide detective. This is what he did for the LAPD. It was like he he had um, cased over 300 yeah. And yeah. Before he retired. Yeah. So he was well experienced. Yeah. It wasn't just some like armchair detective who armchair detectives can do some good work, but this was a man who, this was his career was he doing knew this. He what he was doing. Yeah. So the procedure, the hemicorectomy, which was the procedure that slices the body beneath the lumbar spine. It's the only spot where the body can be severed in half without breaking a bone. It was taught in the 1930s when his father, George, had been in medical school, which also, I just wanted to stop for a minute. Who? In the world. Why, in God's name, would you ever have a situation where you're like, you know how I'm going to cure this? I'm going to saw your body in half from the lumbar spine. Maybe if you're paralyzed. Maybe? Why wouldn't you just leave it? It's not hurting anything. It probably helps your balance. Maybe. Sitting a little too close to home. 
Um, <laughs> so I was gonna say too. I don't know if this touches like in this article, but he was like it was almost like he was like a family practitioner. He was not a surgeon, but they still taught him like how to cut. So like he still had the practice. He still went to schooling for this, mm-hmm. but he was like a family practitioner. Mm-hmm. So letters sent to the press. This is this is where this confusion about the handwriting comes into play. The letters sent to the press and police from the Black Dahlia Avenger, a man claiming to be Short's killer, also bore a chilling resemblance to his dad's handwriting. Yeah. So in 2003, he released um, his first book, Black Dahlia Avenger: The True Story. It's a little more than a hundred pages full of evidence. Listed chronologically like a cop's case log and made the New York Times bestseller list after it was released. So this, the article says something really interesting. It says it has also made many people uncomfortable given, his his research has made people uncomfortable given the tone which blurs the line between obsession and admiration. And his conveniently gripping narrative, a homicide detective raised in the heart of gritty Los Angeles finds his father guilty of the city's most notorious unsolved murder. Um, okay, so when this article came out in 2016, Steve was 74. So let's do some quick math. So that would have made him, he was born in 42. He would have been five years old when the Black Dahlia was killed. So if he didn't dip out till he was nine. But still, he still dipped out. It was still after the murder. Right. Anyway, sorry. I just wanted, I really wanted to know what that was. Dang, he was five. Yeah. Jesus. So a lot of people, a couple of people have come forward. There was one woman who wrote a book about how she felt like her father was the killer or was really adamant about how her dad was the killer. But this guy has actual like evidence and hard like stuff. So the handwriting analysis that was done was not conclusive, but it did find a strong possibility that his father had written the note. Oh, this is, this is where the concrete bags come back into play. Are you ready for this? Yes. So no, I'm not, but. Uh, Steve searched his father's um, archives at UCLA finding a folder full of receipts for various renovations on his childhood home. In that folder, there was a receipt dated a couple of days before the murder for a large bag of concrete, the same brand as the concrete bag found near Short's body. Investigators believe the murderer used the bag to transport her body a few days before her murder. Yeah, that was, that was a big, that that was where my stamp really hit the, hit the table. See, my stamp hit the table and I didn't even know that, Mm -hmm. but now it really, this man, killed her <laughs> yep so by the time hodell had begun his investigation many of the police officers who originally worked on the case were dead now this is a really it's a very controversial part so he carefully reconstructed conversations these officers had with acquaintances about the case so he went to people who knew the officers and was like what did they tell you and he started reconstructing all these narratives but a lot of people feel like he might have smudged some of the stuff along the way um, I don't know how much I believe that, but I got to throw it in there. So while he was fact-checking the book, New York Times or Los Angeles Times columnist Steve Lopez requested official police files from the case and made an important discovery. Now, this is really interesting. When Steve was writing the book, he did not have this. All right. Los Angeles Times columnist Steve Lopez was fact-checking this first book. And when he did this, he found that at the time of the murder, the LAPD had six main suspects and George Hodel was on that list. Oh? Mm-hmm. He was one of the six main suspects for the crime, which Steve did not know before he started his investigation. He had already written the book by the time he found that oh out. Oh my God. Yeah, right? I didn't know that either. Mm-hmm. So this is where, do you know anything about like the transcripts? No. Oh girl, I'm about to blow your mind. All right. Also, I want to amend my earlier statement. We were talking about the mutilation of her body. Those things had not been inserted into her uterus. Until it, after? No. Um, it, they had been inserted into her vagina and her rectum. Her uterus had been completely removed from her body. Yeah. That's an important, yeah, sorry. Not trying to spread, not trying to bring that back up, but I'm also not trying to like be false. So also the woman I talked about earlier, uh, Janice Knowlton, she was the one who believed that her father was the killer. And she also wrote a book about it, but all of her family was like 
no no that's i don't know why she's on about this okay so steve said after he found out that george was already on the suspect list so in 2001 after two years of researching the case full-time hodel returned or hodel turned to Stephen k an acquaintance who worked in the la county district attorney's office hodel still wasn't sure he could prove beyond a reasonable doubt that his father was the black dahlia killer but he was convinced his investigation had unearthed enough new material to justify a fresh look from law enforcement officials k an assistant district attorney at the time agreed to review Steve's work. Six weeks later, Kay responded with a glowing letter, quote, thanks to some great detective work by his courageous son, Steve, the name of Dr. George Hodel will live in infamy, end quote, wrote Kay, who added that if George were still alive, he would file two charges of murder against him. Surprisingly, Kay believed Steve was right. So based on all of that evidence, he was like, if he was still alive, I would absolutely be filing charges against him. Right. Um, and then Steve said, quote, when I had that, that was kind of the moment where I said, okay, case solved. So we'll touch on Man Ray real quick before. I want the transcript to be the last thing since you don't know anything about it. Okay. Uh, Man Ray was a surrealist photographer that helped propel Short's murder. So two of Man Ray's photographs, Lay Amaro, I believe, and Minotaur, bear a chilling resemblance to Short's mutilated body. Steve argues that Short's body was George's way of emulating his friend's surrealism, allowing him to build what Steve calls a, quote, masterpiece, a true crime so sh- or a, tr- a crime so shocking and horrible it would endure, be immortalized through the annals of crime lore. So Steve believes that his father was trying to recreate those two photographs of Man Ray's in his murder, which is like a stretch. Yeah, so... There was someone, maybe his sister, mm-hmm. she had a daughter... And the daughter was put up for adoption. So this girl ran from home. This is all relevant. I'm Mm going to, like, Mm -hmm. tell you about something, I guess, after. But, like, she... Okay, so there was a girl. I cannot remember her name. Jesus Christ. But, like, she had a daughter. And she ran away from home. And the daughter was put up for adoption. The guy, like, apparently took pictures of her when she was young and, like, sexually assaulted her. The 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 guy. Man Ray. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But there's also speculation that um, George was the baby's dad. Oh. So, and I, um, this, I heard all this in Buzz, uh, this is why I don't talk. <laughs> BuzzFeed's, um, Unsolved video, mm-hmm. like, there was something about George and incest charges. Oh, shoot. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, so, like, the guy did, like, take pictures of her and, like, had sexually assaulted her and there was something about George having sex with the daughter. Oh, God. Okay. I didn't know anything about that. Yeah. So, I'm that just, I didn't find that. just perspective for how bad it is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I love this quote from the Guardian article, and then we're going to go back. While all enforcement officials disagree about whether Steve Hodel is a brilliant vigilante or an obsessive crackpot, no one has been able to prove him wrong. And that fact has been all the encouragement Steve needs to keep digging. I don't think that he's an obsessive crackpot. Mm -hmm. I think, like, if your dad murdered the most notorious Mm -hmm. unsolved murders, Mm -hmm. you would want to get justice for this dead girl. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's a crackpot. Mm Mm-hmm. Leave the man alone. His dad's a psychopath. All right. So going back to the fact that uh, the LAPD had six main sub- suspects, George Hodel was on that list. Um, in this same file, it was found that to monitor George Hodel's activities after they named him a suspect, the Hodel home was bugged in 1950. Much of this audio was innocuous, but one chilling exchange stuck out. Oh, no. Are you ready? Because no. I wasn't. No. So on the 19th of February in 1950, there's a haunting exchange. At 8.25 p.m., quote, woman screamed, 
woman screamed again in parentheses. This is part of the transcript. It should be noted the woman not heard before the scream. Later in the day, that same day, Hodel talks to a confidant that is unnamed. Um, quote, realized there was nothing I could do. Put a pillow over her head and cover her with a blanket. Get a taxi. Expired 1259. They thought there was something fishy. Any- anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. End quote. The surveillance continues routinely, but for one telling moment. Are you ready? Quote, Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. I was going to say, he. I read that he killed his freaking secretary. I didn't know that he, like, admitted to it. Oh, what a psychopath. Yep. Oh, my God. Yep. It's, it's just the most chilling thing. Like, the woman screaming really gets me. And yeah. then, yeah. Um, also... I think it's interesting. So 1959 or 1947, we decided that Steve was what? Seven? No, five. He was five when she was killed. Five. So then in 1950, he would have been about eight. And his dad peaced out to the Philippines right after he turned nine. And this was what year? 1950? Mm-hmm. The, the day that this transcript was taken from was 1950. So he peaced out sometime this year, right? Uh, Probably like within a year after this being a thing. Yeah. Right. Friggin' insane, my dude. Um, the thing that I was gonna touch up on, what I it's his it's George's great grandkids. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a podcast going into it, and they kind of like touch base on like what Stephen has done. So um, it's called the Root of Evils. It's really really good. Like they basically just touch up on the the dy- root of evil. That they just touch up on the dynamic of like him. But yeah, like, it's like it's really good. I've and, heard of it's it's on my it's in my library. It's really good, and they just touch base on why they think that he is the one who did it. But yeah, definitely listen to it. I've been listening to it all day. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I started that one. Hold on. Oh my god, I've listened to this. Yeah, I've I've listened. Okay, okay, hold it on. It was his great. Okay, I cannot believe this. So it was yeah, his his great granddaughters. So episode five, traumatic reenactment. So yeah, this is when they talk about his daughter Tamar becoming pregnant That's and they believing that it's about. his kid. So yeah. okay, I I am having recovered memories. Okay, so when I first started listening to true crime podcasts when I was working in financial aid, I listened to the My Favorite Murder episode about Elizabeth Short yeah. and they talked about Root of Evil. Okay, so I started listening to Root of Evil. I got to this episode and I remember the name. It will stick with me until the day I die. And I can't believe. So this is episode five. It's called Traumatic Reenactment. Episode six is called Supposing I Did Kill the Black Dahlia. So that's really interesting to me. I'm really, I I had to have blocked that out because this was a really disturbing podcast for me to listen to, given my own history of childhood trauma. I was going to say, it's very good. And I would recommend you listen to it because Mm -hmm. it gives you a little insight on George and like, Mm -hmm how just messed up this man was and, like, mm-hmm. why it makes sense that he killed the Black Dahlia. But mm-hmm. it is very, very, very graphic. It, yeah. So I listened to all four of the first episodes and it was hard enough. But then when I got to traumatic reenactment, when they were going through everything, I had to turn it off. I couldn't keep listening to it. And I never turned it on again a day in my life. It's good. It's very good. But I have not... I cannot believe yeah. I didn't remember that when we were looking through. Wow. Mm-hmm. I am so... Because I love... It's It's produced by TNT. Yep. Um, which I love. And there's a show, apparently, too, about the black dahlia mm-hmm. i can't think of what it's called i keep wanting I to say out night? of darkness but that's i it is i am the night yeah yeah i am yeah. the night it's or 
something like that. But Out of Darkness, I'm pretty sure, is the book that was written about the Golden State Killer. Hold on. See, that's what I was talking about. I was like, she had a kid, or he had a daughter, and then... So, oh, George Hodel was a gynecologist. Was he? I See, I thought he was just like a family practitioner. This says he was a gynecologist. Uh... Um, so, I Am the Knight is telling Fauna's story. I typed in George and he was the first thing that popped up. Hello. Um, Fauna being the daughter of, what did we just say her name was? Tamar. Tamar, yeah. So Tamar, okay, so it's Fauna's children that are doing the podcast. Yeah. So Fauna is the center of I Am The Night. But anyway, there's so much interesting media about it. Listeners, you'll have to go back and listen through. If you can stomach Root of Evil, it's a very good podcast. I had to stop at the traumatic reenactment episode, but maybe someday I'll get back through it. Maybe someday I'll be at peace with my own childhood trauma and I'll yeah. be able to do it. It's just a, it, it's a little bit too much it's for lot. me. It's yeah. a lot. It's really um, heavy. But yeah, which is another reason why I didn't really I think in the back of my mind, I really didn't want to do the research for this because I knew there was so much of that. But thankfully, I didn't hit any of that when I was doing my research and I won't. um, uh, And I'm here to say that we probably won't do it on the podcast. Sorry for my own mental well-being. We probably won't won't do anything about like Fauna or her family or any of that on the podcast just because I can't. But to end all of this, we'll end with Steve Hodel. Go listen to Root of Evil if you can. Um, Look, I haven't watched I Am the Night, but I've heard such good things about it. It's really good. Yeah. Um, So... Those Steve's, we'll end with this, a quote from The Guardian. Um, Though Steve's family is proud of his dedication, their pride has slid slowly towards bafflement. At one point, I, being the author of The Guardian article, asked Steve's son, Michael, why he thought his father kept investigating. Have you figured it out? He asked me because I'd like to know. He paused and then added, to my dad, the Black Dahlia is his story. He said, if there's any kind of noteworthiness in his life, it probably came from this. This is the kind of, this is kind of his calling card at this point. So yeah, I can see how you would want it to be as grand as possible. Um, and I also, actually, I really, really want to end on this. So Steve was doing great. He had his evidence. He had everything figured out. He was believed. He had support. He had respect. So then he started looking into, he believes that his father is connected to dozens of murders stretching yeah. all across California. Um, details from murders in Los Angeles led Steve to a string of murders in Chicago, which then led him to Manila and the slaying of a 28-year-old woman named Lucila Lalu whose dismembered body had been found situated oddly like shorts. Her body was found scattered about a half mile from his father's home along a street named Zodiac. And then from here, it says, Steve took, I love this part. I'm going to read this whole thing. Hold on. So Steve took it as a clue. Quote, I thought, no, 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 there's no way. Quote, end quote. He told me he worried that there was no way to accuse his father of the Zodiac murders without seeming loony. Quote, I had spent all of this time and effort in blood, sweat, and tears establishing my credibility in Black Dahlia. And now this guy's saying his dad is also the Zodiac. It's like, oh man, end quote. And then the author of The Guardian says, that assessment has proven largely accurate. <laughs> so basically... Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so basically... Uh-uh. He, this is a lot for my brain to comprehend. Yeah, so he publishes The Black Dahlia. Everything's going great. He was on the verge of a breakthrough. He's doing really well. He's getting positive press. He's got respect. Seattle Weekly called it one of the most compelling true crime books of all time. New York Times gave it a rave review. Steve appeared on Dateline, CBS, NBC. Anderson Cooper interviewed him for CNN. But then he was doing great. And then he publishes a book called Most Evil, which argues that his father was responsible for the Zodiac murders as well. And then people just lose all interest. Really? Yep. He lost so much motivation because after this people start looking at the black dahlia avenger with a much more critical eye um and a lot of detectives look at it as being 
basically it, it never like it never got him anywhere it offered a lot of circumstantial evidence and then pretended like the case was closed like that was it so basically after he looks it now after he moves into the zodiac stuff he basically loses all support he had from law enforcement oh my God. in pursuing his dad's case because they're like now nah, this guy's just loony no, there's no, no. way. I mean... Um, so, Steve, this is the final uh, sentence of the article, and this is the final thing I'll say about, like, this until we start just, like, talking about it. Um, Steve says he has long since given up on trying to sway law enforcement officials. Quote, my judge and jury are the public, my readers, and they get it. End quote. Yeah. It's really... The Guardian article is a roller coaster from start to finish. You have got to read it. Um, it's called, again... Um, I know who killed the Black Dahlia, my own father, um, in The Guardian, published in 2016. It's so interesting. Root of Evil, so interesting. I Am the Knight, I really want to watch it. Um, All That's Interesting's article is really incredible about it as well. But all that being said, he got so far. He did such good work. And, and then, then because he, like, speculated. No, she wrote an entire book about that's it. That's what I'm saying. Like, he speculated and wrote a book about it. Yeah. And now they're all All life. because of this one woman who was dismembered on a street called Zodiac. He's like, my father did it. And he accused his father of all of this. Which, I mean, when I read that too, I was like, oh my God. But again, that's that's the part of me that just wants things like this to be solved. Well, and that that happened and she was killed 47 or murdered mm-hmm. 47. Mm-hmm. The, I, I might be wrong, but the Zodiac killer, I think, was like 60s. I think so too. So like, it's weird that she was dismembered. Mm-hmm. Well, also that woman wasn't part of the Zodiac killing. She mm. was a woman who was murdered in Chicago. Her body was found dismembered on a street called Zodiac. Yeah. She had no no ties to the Zodiac killings. That was just, he found a mutilated body on this one well, street and he's like, my bo- my father is the Zodiac killer. I don't, I don't want, I don't discredit him. Like, I think Oh yeah, no, I his think, dad definitely did it. Oh, I, I absolutely but believe so. I, I think, like, this stuff is just draining like, just talking about it. I can't imagine, like, dedicating your life to like and it's your own father yeah and then especially like once he reveals because there's so much even if george hodell wasn't responsible for the black dahlia murder he was a messed up individual and that's what buzz um buzzfeed said they were like even if he was not the murderer he is a very evil man yeah oh yeah he's still uh, and that's that's all that root and that's why i think that's why i didn't connect root of evil to the black dahlia because I look at the root of evil as being Fauna's story and George's story, and I completely just discounted yeah. it to the Black Dahlia entirely. But I also never made it to the part where they started talking about the Black Dahlia. Yeah. I couldn't get past all so the it, stuff with his daughter. Yeah, so it just like it just um, gives you on, like a little backstory on why they think that he did it, or like, but he did it and as much as i would love to do an episode on george hodell that's just i'm gonna need several more years of therapy before i'm ready for that that's not the vibe that i'm trying to manifest with this podcast he's too gross of a man yeah exactly very evil and feel free to do your own research like i'm probably gonna go home and read a little bit about it with all my lights on and my doors locked but um Um, must be nice (laughs) i mean all my lights will be on my doors be locked too but I don't have roommates, and I don't know when Fox gets off work, so. But, yeah, no, like, I'm a, I'm a uh, yeah, that scared me. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a go, and. If you like, can hear that, my ice maker just dropped ice, and both I'm, of us were like. <gasps> I am going to finish listening to The Root of Evil, just because, like, it was, it was interesting. Like, it's really messed up. It's really sad. Yeah, I'll get back to it someday. It's, yeah. It is really interesting. It is, it's heavy, and though. I also, I have to feel, it is very heavy. And I have to feel for Steve, because, I mean, you go through all this trauma dealing with your father. I. I don't discredit his work on the Black Dahlia. I just think that by the point he had gotten around to the Zodiac accusations, at this point, like, how much of your mind must you have to lose to do all this research? Pretty much get hard evidence that your father 
was responsible for one of the most infamous cold cases That's in LA. Saying. Like, it and then like really mess with his head. Him. And yeah, and then I mean, what what is there to keep you from just being like, well, if this most terrible thing has happened, he might as well be the Zodiac killer. Right. And also like he's a homicide detective. Of course he wants these things to be solved. Exactly. And it it must be such a difficult a difficult like situation for him to be in to be like, I must face my father's evil could have extended beyond what I already know. Yeah. And we all want this to be true. That's why we jump on stuff like that. That's why that woman who's connected to um, Jeffrey Epstein and those photos where it's like pretty much confirmed that she's in those photos with both Madeline... Madeline McCann. Madeline McCann and John Bonet. John Bonet. I'm like, I'm completely convinced that she's done it. But I mean, when we did the John Bonet Ramsey episode, I was completely convinced that it was Bert. Right. So, you know, like, it's it's that part of human nature that just wants evil to be solvable if it has to exist at all. Yeah. And it blurs our vision in terms well, of reality. That and, like, like we said, it's his own father. Like, it's not just some random guy. Like, it wasn't, like, his long-lost uncle. It wasn't his fourth-removed cousin. You know? Yeah, it sucks it when your dad his, turns out to be a piece of shit. It was his, it was his father. Like, <laughs> looking at you, Lance, if you're listening, <laughs> we're keeping that. Okay. <laughs> Important note: my dad, the man I call my dad, is a fantastic human being. He's one of the greatest men I've ever known. I love him very much. My biological father, on the other hand, is a different story, and that is who that comment was directed at. So, don't come after my dad because my dad is great. My sperm donor, however, is a different story. Piece of shit. So, yeah, I hope he's listening. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I, last episode, I, I threatened to beat your dad's ass. Did your, you? Your bio dad, yeah. Oh, that's right! I'll, like, I'll beat his ass. <gasps> because, because we talked about how he looks... Oh, we've already talked on the podcast about how he's... Yeah, there's a difference between dad and bio dad. Um, how, we talked on the last episode about how he looks like R- Richard Ramirez. Yeah. Because um, <gasps> Megan did the recording for the last episode, and I didn't realize she left that part in, and I was like... Ugh. Yeah, I really thought I cut it out. I'm glad it's there. It made me laugh. I mean, I... I was like... I really thought I had cut it out. But, but also, I mean, I, I can kind of get that. Like, having to come to terms with the fact that this person... Who, and I mean, it's very different for him and what he thinks he found out about his father versus me and what I know of my right. biological father. It It's it's the worst feeling when the person that is supposed to be, especially for like a little girl and her dad. I like, was just about to the say the one person, person who yep. is supposed to be good, who has given you life, who has yep. said you are mine and I, it is my responsibility to take care of you and make sure that no evil becomes of you then turns into that evil. It's incredibly traumatizing and it's, Oh God, I'm going to cry. It's one of the hardest parts of having to deal with anything. Like I have a father who is a great man. I don't grieve the loss of a father. It's the question of one, why was it in my case? One, why was it me who had to be Mm -hmm. the subject of all the evil that lives inside of you? Right. But then also like, why are you like this? And like how it's, it's such a turntable kind of thing to think like, this is the worst thing that I could imagine in this moment. And you are supposed to be the best part of my life. Right. You know, like you are supposed to be the person I can count on 100% no matter what. And now that's not there. And it's incredibly, I mean, there's no difference. And I dealt with it when I was a six year old and I'm still dealing it with it now that I'm 23. There's no difference in discovering that evil at six versus the age of however he was when he was retired. Right. You know, it's still, and I mean, for him, it, his dad had up and vanished, you know, he had abandoned him, but he still, that was still his dad. You never lose say, that part of you. I was going to say, and I like, obviously I'm very thankful to have parents who mm-hmm. aren't pieces of shit, you mm-hmm. know, but also like, I feel like if if my parents were going to be pieces of shit, I would rather them be pieces of shit when I'm younger. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I know that it doesn't hurt any less, but, like, imagine being, like, 60 years old. Mm. You know what I mean? And, like, and then you've built this whole life thinking exactly. they are one way and then finding out they're not. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, like, developmental trauma that goes into right. But also, mine's a very specific case. Like, it, it's a right. different stuff that happened. But it there there's no there's no easy way around it. Like, no. there's no easy there way no, to find out that no. your parent is the worst no. type of human being. Yeah. When they're supposed to be, like, that's what I'm saying, like... I know that they're discrediting him, but, like, you have to think, like, he was older when he found out that his dad was a piece of shit, Mm -hmm. and he's... And he had spent over 15 years dedicating his life to that before he found this one thing, and again, of course, he jumped to that. Like, I get it. When I read it, too, I was immediately like, Zodiac! And I was like, hold on, Chris, I'll take a step back. (laughs) There's no correlation. Right. Right, exactly. But, like, it's traumatizing, and, like, the fact that he's not only... He probably, not only does he have PTSD from, like, having to deal with homicides, he has PTSD from this homicide potentially being by his father. That's another thing. I mean, he was a, he he worked in that field. And specifically, I mean, he was only a kid when the Black Dahlia was murdered, but he then went on to be a homicide detective for the LAPD. Of course, that case was a huge part of his life. It was the most infamous cold case in L.A. history. That was, right. it, of course course that had to haunt him i mean he grew he went through his whole professional career knowing about it hearing about it probably learning about it and studying it and then to just be like that was my dad yeah like that's i couldn't even i could not Mm -hmm. even imagine look at god no (laughs) look at god look at his work (laughs) (laughs) oh i miss i miss my work friends (laughs) all right um so housekeeping real quick um follow us on we don't touch our instagram or twitter and i don't know if that girl is ever going to message me back about uh, managing them but maybe but every, maybe now that i'm homebound i'll jump on it well i was gonna say every once in a while uh i'll log in but we don't post it I, maybe i'll i'll make that uh, if anything maybe our instagram yeah i'll 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 start being more intentional about that now that i'm homebound i'll make that more of a priority to take care of it myself and i don't even deal with my social media yeah that's the thing i haven't posted on my social media in forever like i just don't use it so it's hard for me to then have to like switch into the mode to do it then but we'll we'll work on that go ahead and follow us anyway though for whenever we do finally get our shit together and start (laughs) using it um at hmh podcast uh you can also email us at hmh podcast at gmail.com uh you can find our fan page on facebook um it's just called hot messes of history my name is Crystal. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at C Mayercheck. Don't try to spell it. Just go to the podcast socials. Megan and I are the only people that the socials follow. You can find us both there. You yes. know the drill. If you've listened to the podcast, you know the spiel. Yes, um, I'm Megan, and the only social media I have is Instagram. And say it with us, kids. Don't follow Megan on Twitter. Nope, yeah. <laughs> she um, won't let you. No, I will not let you. Um, I believe I, we do this every time, and I never remember. It's Megan M. Caudell. Yes, thank you. Uh, oh, you can also find us on Patreon if you want to help me now that I am uh, unemployed. Uh, Patreon, www.patreon.com slash history. So we can't wait to see you next week. Next week, we'll probably take a turn. We've done a lot of true crime, so yeah, we'll probably go actually, back to history. I was actually telling, like, Kate and Fox earlier, I was like, I have we have to take a break. Yeah. Because that stuff is so deep. It, yeah. Like, it hurts. Yeah, I was talking to... Who was I talking to about that? I think it was... I was actually Dylan and Lauren. Um, they brought me groceries. God love them. Um, but we, I was talking about the podcast. So they listened to the podcast, and I was talking about how I'm very excited to take a step away from true crime and go back to history. As much as I love it, we, we did the series, and I'm glad that we did it, but now I'm like, I need a break. Yeah, it's so heavy. It's so heavy. <sighs> it's it's interesting, and it's fun, and it's it's cool, but also, like... 
it's mentally draining talking yeah. about people being brutally murdered. Yeah. I don't know. And we didn't laugh as much this time because there's like nothing to laugh about. No. On the black. We couldn't we couldn't even make it funny. And if we can't make it funny, no, it's hopeless. Literally. There was not I... there was not a Grey's actually we did make one Grey's Anatomy reference and we that was when we were talking about my brain every time. <laughs> every time. They do this every year. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll be taking a step away from true crime next week, getting back into history. We'll have to talk. We don't even know what it's gonna be about yet, but we'll figure it out. So yeah. Anyway, that's that. <laughs> <laughs> I hate us. I love us, but I hate us. Um, uh, so, listeners, always remember. Question everything. Incite your shit. Also, wash your hands. Wash your damn hands. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. It's not over. No. Just because you're bored with it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So, continue to just wash your hands. Yeah, wash your hands. Be a, Don't be a dick. Be a normal human being. Be kind. Don't murder people. Yes. Don't be stupid. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>